0: This episode of Art of the Score is proudly supported by the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra. Head over to www.mso.com.au forward slash movies for more information on their upcoming season of live movie score presentations. Welcome to Art of the Score, the podcast that explores, demystifies and celebrates some of the greatest soundtracks of all time from the world of film, TV and video games. I'm Andrew Pogson, and in each episode we'll be joined by Daniel Golding and Nicholas Buck as we check out a soundtrack we love, break down its main themes, explore what makes the score tick and hopefully impart our love of the world of soundtracks. (laughs) In episode 13, we explore the music from the wondrous world of Harry Potter and The Philosopher's Stone, directed by Chris Columbus and score by the one and only John Williams. Although Williams only composed music for the first three Harry Potter films, his themes have endured as a fundamental element of the Harry Potter world. And it's hard to think about this series without also hearing Williams' magical and haunting melodies. To say that Harry Potter captured the imagination of an entire generation would be an understatement. And for many of this series' fans, it is their Star Wars, with new iterations to the franchise continuing to be released to this day. And joining me on platform nine and three quarters having just received his letter to Hogwarts, is composer, arranger, orchestrator, conductor, the music kind, not the train kind, um, and guy who is happy to run at brick walls just in case they're magic, it's Nicholas Buck. It's do? Leviosa, not <laughs> Leviosa. Um, Hi guys, how are you going? Yeah, um, I, I'm great. I'm excited to to get into this uh, this, this Harry Potter score because it's um, it's a bit of an iconic one. This one, it is. It's um, I mean, like you said, it is this generation's Star Wars. Um,
1: you know, the, it started with the books continued with the films and the music is fantastic Um, I've been living and breathing this score for the past year and a half um, and I think I've conducted about close to 40 performances of this score so um, it's very fresh in my mind still and um, it's got lots of rewarding and fantastic
0: bits of music that I'm, I'm looking forward to discussing And fresh from his shift at Gringotts Bank, where he dreams of one day working for Ollivanders just up the road, is writer-critic, Muggle University lecturer, and resident Strigophile. Nick, that's Strigophile. Do you know that that is someone who loves owls? So it's not only funny but topical and educational. <laughs> it's Dan Golding. How you doing, Dan? I'm, I'm good. I am
2: a strigiphile, and I'm also proud to say that I am also perfectly normal. Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> That's all right, Dan. It's, it's great to have you here, as always. <laughs> and um, otherwise, you know, we would have... A distinct lack of beards in the room, <laughs> and um, you're really sort of mixing things yeah. up here, which I enjoy. Got, got to
2: have a beard for for you know to keep up the Dumbledore. Side, <laughs> mm.
0: There it is. So, guys, we've uh, we've got the first Harry Potter film mm. that we're going to check out today, which is, like I said, I'm a bit excited about. I'm I'm a big fan of uh, certainly the books. I must admit that back in the day. You know, I was a, I was a little bit older, probably too old for the books initially. Mm-hmm. and my I was up visiting my parents on holidays, and my mother, who was, very into sort of sci-fi and fantasy and all sorts of different things um, and, a, and an avid reader said to me um, you should you should check out these Harry Potter books and I just said what are, what are you talking about these kids books like that's ridiculous and she said no 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 you'll you you'll, you'll like mm. it and I got bored enough in the home over that over that holiday period that I said fine fine uh, pick this thing up and sort of devoured the first book in in mm. a couple of hours and was like ah, okay okay and then you know <laughs> went on to the second and, and the rest is history so I was particularly excited when This movie came out because I just wanted to see all of my favorite characters on the screen. Yeah, were you a fan, Dan? Or I was. I was uh, happily pretty much at the
2: right age, and I got in just before Pottermania really began. So the first book was released in 1997, but it didn't really take off until about 1999 when it hit the the top of the you know bestseller charts and everything in in America. And I was thinking about this; it was about 98 or 99 when I was well, the perfect age, really. I was about about 12, I think, when 11 or 12, when my sister who lived in London at the time sent me, just sent me a copy of the first book. <laughs> it's not a first edition, but it's a second edition. Yeah, right, okay. Uh, and sort of saying, hey, yeah, same, same story. You should check this out. And, you know, I think I was, yeah, just the perfect age. And, you know, was, was one of those generations that really grew up with the books, actually. Mm. Um, you know, sort of roughly ballpark- Maybe two years older than the than the than the absolute perfect age, but ballpark right age for each of the books on release. Um, so it was yeah, it was great in that sense. Nice mm. one.
0: And Nick, what's your
2: what's your relationship with the Potter world?
1: I have not read a single word of any of the <laughs>
2: books. Then you missed my excellent joke at the start. What I, when I said I was perfectly normal? That's the opening line to the first book. Oh yeah, I thought you just. Being ob- weird, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: observational. Yeah. Um, no, I have not read any of the books, uh, much to my wife's shame, yeah, right. um, who has read all of them several times and insists mm. that I do so as well. But I, I really came to these films basically, actually, because of the music. Um, mm, yeah. I wasn't even a huge fan of, of the films; I was a casual observer. I have now, you know, fallen in love with them much, much more. But it really was the music that got me, got me into it, and uh, I think. kept kept him in it as well, because there was some fantastic music, especially
0: in this first one, that really Mm. set
1: the tone. Boy, oh boy. Mm.
0: (laughs) And uh, Nick, like you mentioned at the start, you have been conducting this movie and actually some of the other Harry Potters too, but you've been conducting this first movie, what did you say, 40 times? Um, Maybe, yeah, 39, 40, 41. I've lost count. So we're going to be looking to you to really try and break this score open for us, because I, I think I'm pretty good. Dan, I know you think you're pretty good. No, that's very rude. Um uh, but I think we're I think we're gonna be looking to, to sort of see where all of oh, that magic absolutely. is hidden. I am pretty good guys. <laughs> you don't just think you are, you know, but yeah. So, uh, Dan, mm. what, what can you tell us? What can you tell us where this uh, this movie and this whole series sort of sits within mm. um, uh, the, the history of, of sort of movies and maybe even John Williams' career? Yeah, well, I mean, so as I said, uh, you know, Pottermania hits
2: in 99 and it's around this point that there's a total bidding frenzy for the film rights. I think, you know, it becomes very clear very quickly that it doesn't matter what quality film is attached to this, it's going to do well. And so, Warner Brothers buys the rights in 99 for A reported one million pounds, which in is, retrospect could seems you call pretty that, good. Could you, could you call that a bidding frenzy? Well, one million it's a bargain yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Multi-billion dollar Pre- franchise. Pretty good, yeah. Uh, and they start producing in 2000, but there's this this, this kind of uncertainty as to who's going to direct it. At one point, um, Steven Spielberg is actually attached to the film and declined to direct it, but he wanted it to be an animated film with really? Haley Joel Osment as oh, the voice God. of Harry. Okay. I see Um, wizards, people. Yeah, yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) I see magic people. (laughs) Um, But he said, I mean, you know, he said he was quoted at the time saying, uh, it's like shooting ducks in a barrel. It's just a slam dunk. It's like withdrawing a billion dollars and putting it into your personal bank account, (laughs) which, you know, yeah. But he, you know, he pulled out. There were a few other directors that were sort of, uh, you know, put forward and it ended up being uh, Christopher Columbus or Chris Columbus as he kind of abbreviates his name. So as not to be confused with uh, the man who sailed the ocean from Blue in 1492 although although, uh, Christopher Columbus his um, production company is called 1492 Pictures so I wonder whether he's you know yeah, (laughs) Yeah. he's
0: just steered into it yeah yeah Uh, is that a pun? (laughs) what is (laughs) it? sailed into (laughs) it (laughs) okay
2: that's better yeah so he's the director of Home Alone 1 and 2 Mrs. Doubtfire and also wrote uh, Gremlins and the Goonies so he's been around for you know some time uh, and was sort of considered to be
0: you know a fairly sort of safe family blockbuster uh, choice and probably importantly very well versed With working with a um, kid actors. Yep. Which I think is not everyone's bag. No, absolutely not. And then, you know, there was a huge
2: process for casting them. You know, they, they you know, were all obviously amateur, you know, actors that were, that were just sort of selected for their, I mean, often their appearance, actually, and their sort of aptitude for, for sort of embodying the characters more than, than acting. But, you know, uh, one of the amazing things about this really is that J.K. Rowling, or Joe Rowling, really, I mean, I don't know if you know, she only chose J.K. because her publisher considered that having a woman's name on the front cover would would mean that people would be less likely to buy it, and so she chose her initials rather than Joe.
0: Right. I mean, how is
2: Joe?
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> so no, jo- I, know, I know more ma- male yes, Joes. but than male,
2: I do. male Joes have an E on the end. Oh. yeah. Um. So yeah. <laughs>
1: um.
2: So well, Joanna, Joanna Rowling, Joe yeah, Rowling, right. insisted that all of the cast be English or or Irish or mm. British and Irish. I mean, that you know has resulted in in you know, every single who's who of the English acting establishment being in these films in some way or another and was a huge, huge boom to the English film industry. And, I mean, it's quite extraordinary, actually. It sort of single-handedly has, you know, pumped a lot of money into the British film industry.
0: In the same way that Lord of the Rings has yeah. propped up New Zealand. Uh, yeah. New Zealand. Yeah. Well, not just the film industry, but probably the general economy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, tourism as well, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, which I, I
2: guess. Well, I mean, I guess yeah. You can go and visit. Uh, you know, the the what is, I think it's the Cambridge Hall, I suppose, which is which is what the the, the Great Hall is based on. Yeah, in the right. Yep. You know, a few of the castles, the exteriors, uh, especially in Scotland. So there's a bit of a tourism industry, but yeah, certainly you know as as it progresses, it becomes you know the huge franchise of the 2000s, probably along with Lord of the Rings. Yep. It's still probably you know. Those two are the franchises of the 20, 21st century. Um, probably, you know, Marvel is a little bit different. It's a transmedia universe, I guess, or a shared universe. Mm. But, you know, as a, as a narrative franchise goes, Harry Potter is is really where it's at. And so, you know, it does extraordinarily well. And we have John Williams, you know, arrives to to write the score. But interestingly, not the score for the film at least that's not how it began all right i actually have this little excerpt of an interview where he talks about how he arrived at this point uh which is is a very interesting story i got a call from warner brothers saying that they were going to do a promotional reel of harry potter for which they had no music and would i create some theme some music that might be used so what i wrote was what became hedwig's theme Which I wrote sight unseen and when people at Warner's and others heard the music, they felt that it was perfectly appropriate for the film, I was happy to say. So, you see, he he turns up to write music for a promotional reel. Yeah, right. Not the actual film, hadn't seen a frame.
1: Was he not... Already contracted to possibly do the film. Well, or I mean the way that he,
2: the way he tells it, seemingly not. Yeah, but uh, that's got to be the world's most expensive, you <laughs> oh, know, like marketing know. effort. Isn't yeah, it, at that point, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, it's yep. If you can afford to get John Williams in to do your promo reel, <laughs> like I
0: mean, good, good for you. You know, more power to you. But do, do you uh, think that they perhaps? I mean, if that if that story is indeed true, do you think that they perhaps approached him and he said, nah? You know, he's got some other things on. Mm. And then they said, well, well, why don't you just come in and do this one thing to sort of entice him into that whole realm. And yeah. then all of a sudden it's like, ah, oh, we got you now. Could be. I mean, look, John Williams was prolific at this point in time.
2: Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Not like today where he really only does, you know, every second Spielberg film in Star Wars.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, the lazy guy, three yeah, films a year or yeah, something. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: <laughs> but I mean, you know, at, at the sort of the tone of the millennium, he was doing- Lots of work, yeah. Um, so, yeah, maybe you know, he's much more of a day-to-day jobbing composer. I don't know. I mean, mm. he's, you know, hardly hard up for work. But um, anyway, you know, and and at this point now, uh, the whole franchise has gone through four different composers. Yes. Um, Where obviously we've got Williams, we've got Patrick Doyle who did uh, *Goblet of Fire*, Nicholas Hooper who did uh, *The Order of the Phoenix* and *Half Blood Prince*, and Alexandra Desplat, who did *The Last*. Two. Deathly Hallows. Yeah, Deathly The, Hallows. Well, the, the two parts. Part one and uh, part two. One and two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's been through some interesting and, and quite different musical styles for the composers, although it's sort of in some ways retained its own core musical identity, which we find here with Philosopher's Stone, I think.
0: And that's why I thought this was the the obvious movie to start with. Not only is it the first movie, but it's also the place where the majority of the main themes that are throughout the entire franchise are born. Mm. So you know what better place to to start? Absolutely, really. yeah.
1: I've um I've been to at least two of the Universal Wizarding World theme parks. I think there's three of them in the world: Japan, yeah, right. uh, f- uh, Florida, and also LA. And without doubt, I would say ninety. And they they just pump the Harry Potter music all day, constantly. Yeah, right. I'd say ninety percent of the stuff is Williams. Yep. There's, I think, one. You know, having spent many hours, there, there's, there's probably one. <laughs> Patrick Doyle cue and maybe Mm. two sort of flighty Nicholas Hooper Hooper cues, not a single Desplat cue in there. Yeah, Uh, right. um, But it's really you know it's Williams totally owning Mm. the musical landscape of
2: Mm.
3: this
1: entire franchise without a doubt. I mean, look, I think there's
2: interesting cues from all films all of the, the scores, there's, there's a lot to like in each of them. Um, but,
1: but, but none that scream Harry Potter, like, no. like the Williams. Stuff.
2: Ab- absolutely. Not, Just like yeah. instantly. Yeah. Mm. Oh yeah. It's, it's effortless in the way yeah. that it evokes
0: the world of, <laughs> of the film. Yeah. So shall we find out why these themes are so iconic? Absolutely. Nick, do you want to kick it off?
1: I think the best place to kick it off with, uh, and this will please our local strigophile, is to actually um, play a bit of the concert version of Hedwig's theme and pay particular attention to the instrumentation. So what we get there instantly is the Celeste. And Williams is no stranger to the Celeste. Um, He's used it throughout his career. And we've discussed even this instrument in earlier episodes, um, I think specifically Jurassic Park. Mm. yes, Um, And also mentioning films like Home Alone and Hook and how this instrument conveys basically something which is small and light, often childlike things. And uh, there's no doubt that that's certainly what Williams is going for. He's going from that sort of gossamer light, you know, effect with almost like a music box. It's could be a, a story unfolding, a children's toy. Mm. Is it magical? In isolation as an instrument? I guess,
2: yeah. Well I mean I I think for me, I mean that the the what it conjured up prior to Harry Potter is Tchaikovsky's dance of the sugar plum fairy. Which yeah, I mean, is you know that has that has that bit of magic about it as well. I mean, it's a very different mood, uh, far less. Yeah, it is, but <laughs> uh, hectic and and you know uh, uh, intense, really, and, and and light and fast uh, as 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 the Harry Potter or Hedwig's theme is. But it's
0: you know the just the instrument there
1: itself. Yeah, it has that element of magic.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I learnt something recently where. Yes, it's a Celeste. Absolutely, it is. Mm. And when it's played um, in that concert suite version, it's written for Celeste. But very interestingly, John Williams or the, the sound department or somebody decided that the Celeste wasn't quite magical enough. <laughs> and so, they spent a little bit of time putting on a little bit of extra, I guess, digital processing and, and other sort of, you know, Magic that's put over the top um, with the computer to make it even more sort of otherworldly. So, the Celeste doesn't actually sound quite so resonant. It doesn't have that sort of ethereal sort of ring to it mm-hmm. that this particular one does. And in fact, it's, it's a good, you know, listening to that, that Tchaikovsky version, mm. um, or version the, um of that particular piece, because you can hear that it's actually quite a different sound. It, yeah. It's a little more... It's much um, more clear. Yeah, mm. clear. Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't have that kind of washy blur. Exactly. Yeah. And interestingly, uh, with, with the live version of this show, uh, I had, we're, we're, you know, preparing for this with the orchestra at the moment coming up. And the Celeste player or the keyboard player that we, we have booked said to me, Oh, look, I, I don't want to play it on keyboard. I want to play it on Celeste. And I said, Well, actually, it's not. A real Celeste and that's why in the live version they play keyboard and it's mm. the it's the Celeste sound that has processed been version, processed yeah. version yeah. yeah, so that it's absolutely authentic for the uh, for the live performance. So mm. I just thought that's sort of a really interesting thing. Maybe it's one of those things that you can point out to um, be a smart ass to all of your um, your friends at the next yeah. pub trivia is yeah. you know, what is the main theme the Harry Potter played on? Right. Well actually it's not a Celeste, it's this yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. just one for uh what it's actually day.
2: played on an instrument
0: called a hey, I can't believe it's not a Celeste. <laughs> 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 anyway What I wanted to ask you Nick Is that This This theme Is Yes it's childlike Yes it's magical But There is a lot of uh, You know Hints at Danger And, and Things f- being yeah, not quite right
1: there's, Yeah I was going to say There's a few kind of like Inverted commas Wrong Progressions Or wrong notes in there That just sort of It's very E minor based so Meaning basically It's sort of in the one key All right uh, that's a very unusual progression and it sort of does it again towards the end. Ooh. And so you're kind of getting this lilting kind of childlike thing that oh, some, something's a bit kind of wrong. There's a bit of danger and I think that's what's Kind of defining about this melody, it's that last bar, that really mm. crazy interval that people who uh, always try and play it, you know, with basic piano skills on the piano, always fudge that last chord because they're like, "Oh, it's just some note down there." And it really gives it this off-kilter thing that speaks of witches and magic and and you know, Muggle world, Wizard world, all these things colliding, mm. and that really is kind of what's going on in Harry's life. You know, he's 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 a boy in kind of like the wrong world in some mm. ways, and Williams and encapsulates it right there so it's really it's really wonderful.
0: I think that's what makes this theme iconic. I yep. think had you just written a really lovely magical melody that sort of stayed very within its its key, you would just have a nice melody. But this there's something so mm. uh, not it's not weird is not the right term because I don't listen to it and go, "Oh, that's weird." Mm. I, it's just it's just slightly crooked. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. it's a good it's, disc word, crooked. Yeah, yeah, it's mm. it's Diagon Alley. It's you yeah, know, where all of the houses are, or even the um, the Weasley's house. Mm. It's just a bit of a crooked house, yeah. you know. And <laughs> yeah. this melody is a bit crooked, you know. Yeah. It just it dances outside of its key center, out of its its main chords, and then comes back in again. Yeah, it's certainly um, not like a one five one
1: progression. Uh, meaning, you know, if I'm an E minor. Um, you know, it doesn't do that. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of, mm. it's much more unusual than that. Mm. Yeah. And brilliantly, Williams kind of embeds almost like two variations within this one theme, um, which I'm kind of going to call the A variation and the B variation. And when he kind of cycles onto the B version, it uses almost the same chords, but the melody is just slightly different. Have a listen. So, rather than, he's sort of got this more, I guess, kind of simpler lilting. And the way he uses this through the film is great because it kind of gives him two different options. And I've found that quite often he uses a second one more when the school of Hogwarts itself is sort of Mm. featured and revealed. Oh, that's interesting. And it's, yeah, it's a nice little kind of moment. And we can't look at this scene without talking about the strings. Yes. Um, (laughs) Uh, you know, v- uh, violin players forever complain about this score, about how freaking hard it is. Yeah. Um, and it's it's so it, – to me, it's like magical fairy dust just kind of being sprinkled over the orchestra or over, over the film. And you can't really decipher what exactly is going on apart from them just zipping up and down the fingerboard and just creating this really wash of – of flightiness, yeah, and, and um, I mean that theme itself on Celeste isn't exactly representative of, of flying. It doesn't feel like mm. something is flying. It's yeah, almost yeah. like a little storybook, you know, feel. But it's the strings that they're they're the bits that are, that mm. give it the magic of of weightlessness.
0: Are you able to line that that little bit of uh, strings up for yeah, us, sure. Nick? Because this uh, it might be good to sort of re-listen to this like you pointed out it's sort of it could be wind Mm. it could be uh, you know I think of it as magic but it's magic that is swirling you know around and around and I think this little portion here is what also helps it be that little bit crooked as well yeah (laughs) it's here it is
1: It's like um, it's like chasing a mosquito around the room. <laughs> you know? It's like, um, and I think of Stravinsky's Firebird. You know, oh, and yeah. some of his music is very flatty like this. Mm. And really, you can see, you know, uh, an incandescent bug, you know, zipping around the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, there's no, it's not up one bar, down one bar. It's mm. just, it's, it's really random. Yeah, and mm. which makes it difficult, but it is so perfect for for this kind of thing.
0: And I think the the contour of those uh, of that line creates rhythm like yep. they they're playing the uh, you know all the same sorts of rhythm it's just a you know it's all the just the same sort of uh, mm. notes but because the change in direction you know so it rises and then falls and then there's a little bit that goes <laughs> and there's it actually creates its own rhythm mm. in that which i think is also really interesting it's a it's a more nebulous way of sort of having forward momentum absolutely. Yeah. with all of it yeah. so yeah. almost
2: Maybe this is a very strange and um, idiosyncratic link to make, but it reminds me almost of like a John Coltrane solo, where he's just <laughs> pulsating through waves of notes that they almost become a chord. Yeah, because it's just it's yep. just so many single
0: notes Absolutely. in such a
2: short amount of time that it's like a a, a wave sort of falling.
0: Yeah, yep. mm. well, I mean, they, they always referred to Coltrane as, uh, you know, sheets of sound. Yeah, and yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. yeah, this is sort of like sheets of magic yeah. uh, coming at you. Mm. So, and and Dan, I know you had a, uh, you got a little uh, video here that we can sort of well, hear the musicians lamenting um, <laughs> the day that this was put in front of them uh, for the for the first recording session. Absolutely. Sessions, yeah. Yeah. His agents told me that John wanted me to get a copy of the music ahead of time. And that's kind of a little flag that goes up, you know, that says, um,
1: it's going to be something I need to look at. If he says, I think you should take a look at the music, you better look at the music ahead of time.
0: Because nobody in
2: the orchestra has sent the music in advance, normally for film sessions. And when the violins first turned up to the recording session, and then they saw the Hedwig's theme, Oh, no, it, Notes, black, you know, lots and lots of notes. And
0: suddenly there was a flurry of everybody sort of practicing very hard.
2: And so, I mean, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's difficult. I mean, the, the voices that you just heard there, were the, this, the last voice you heard was Marsha Crayford, who is the orchestra leader that recorded it, uh, the original. Bravo
0: to her. Yes, <laughs> yeah. and, the,
2: and the first voice you heard, the, the male voice, was Randy Kerber, who's the, the, the keyboardist.
0: Yep. Yeah, because um, in that particular one, it is it is strings playing that up and down, but it's actually doubled on on keyboard. Yeah, the, as Celeste, well. has the, the yeah. Celeste
1: slash uh, process synth
0: yeah um, mm. has to play all that stuff as well. Yeah, keep the up,
2: old guy. Yeah. So, I mean, Nick, you're you're a violinist and a keyboardist. I mean, you, I'm sure you can.
1: I can't play either of those passages, having studied for 25 years. (laughs) So, um, yeah, this is why I wave my arms instead of my fingers. (laughs) (laughs) But look, Williams, you know, as is typical of him, loves to treat his thematic material in different ways. And it's not always the frenetic string, you know, pulsing underneath. Um, He often just treats the theme quite simply. And in the prologue, we get a few different versions, such as this one on oboe. Interesting. What's happening here is uh, baby, little baby Harry has just arrived. So it's almost like he hasn't earned any flying strings yet. <laughs> you know, he's just a little. It's much more gentle, softly, softly approach. Yeah. Um, mm. yeah. they're still kind of fluttering the strings in the background, but they're certainly not the frenetic craziness they are later. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, as one of the greatest moments is when the title, the main kind of, uh, I guess, splash screen of Harry Potter comes up onto the screen in the film, Williams. Introducing the female chorus, which features a bit in this first score, but only in a select few moments. And we get um, the first kind of huge statement of that B variation on the horns.
2: that's a really beautiful moment that's replicated by each composer in their own different way which is I think one of the most interesting things about these films is this this little theme and variation you get through all eight films yeah. mm. of that moment
1: it's and it's all you need to, to sort of signify you know, a little wink to the audience yeah mm. we're, we're back guys yeah yeah. Yeah. Wink. yeah James Bond has returned yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly exactly mm. um, a, a very interesting performance the last one I'll play of Hedwig's theme is uh, we don't often hear it lyrically played on strings and there's a crazy bit at the start where all the letters are flying in through the chimney, through the mailbox, uh, yes. Yep. and Uncle Vernon's kind of, you know, uh, uh, going nuts. Yeah, it's a really nice, beautiful, but quite broad and grand version that's actually where the strings get the melody, not just the fluffy background
3: material. <laughs>
0: He doesn't totally let them off. <laughs> it's, it's just a, like right at the end. Nah, you're going to play some more fast yeah, stuff. Yeah. You, you've
1: had a nice melody. I, fingers <laughs> have had a rest. On to the next one. Yeah. I mean, do you,
2: before we move on from Hedwig's theme, one thing that I often wonder, do you think this is John Williams's last melody to truly enter popular culture? Cause he's had a few Indiana Jones, Superman, Jaws, Close Encounters, Star Wars, Jurassic Park, maybe Schindler's List. And then Harry Potter. I mean, do you think, do you think Hedwig's thing is this? Is this yeah, yeah, I do. I, I really yeah. do.
0: Yeah. I, I can't think of anything, you know, yeah, apart yeah. from more Star Wars. I yeah. I can't think of anything that is, is that. it Here's a question though. Is it because the
1: theme is so great or is it because of the popularity of the films and the books? I,
2: honestly, I think it's a bit of both. I yeah. think it's a really great theme that has enough interest to the melody that- There are literally millions of parents out there who've heard this theme so many times that I'm sure, you know, there are probably people listening to this podcast that have some sort of, you know, traumatic memories associated
1: with how many times they've heard this, right? But- uh, It has enough hooks in there. Like you could just go to anyone- and, oh oh yeah, yeah. They, yeah. They'd probably finish it off for you. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And I mean, but there's there's just enough there yep. that that it's just it stands up and I'm you know, I'm sure there are plenty of people who have Twitch reactions to hearing <laughs> it again. But but it, it it's just it's got so much depth and interest to it yeah. that it, it yep. manages to hold together eight films uh for, for you know. Yeah. Millions of
0: people. And three
1: theme parks. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Moving on, what we're going to look at next is a very close cousin of Hedwig's theme, and often Williams will actually kind of smush them together back to back. And it's, I guess, what we're going to call the flying theme, um, sometimes referred to as the Nimbus 2000 theme. And it's because it's mainly heard when Harry and and gang uh, have their first flying lesson. Um, And just so you all know exactly what we're Talking about, it's this. Now, if I told you guys there is not a single major chord in there, <laughs> ex- ex- look, except for that very last bah, little note, it, I, it doesn't feel overly I'm surprised. Mm. You're a surprise because it yeah. doesn't feel like Darth Vader's theme, for no, example. Yeah. No. So a- so how what are what they makes it, that, do you think? Well, I reckon it's it's a lot of it is just the character of the actual music, you know? Mm. Um, if I played it slowly and and kind of deep, you'd kind of get a different vibe. <laughs> It you know, almost sounds like the Emperor's music from yeah. Return of the Jedi. But mm-hmm. um, it always has this really light, it's sort of bopping along, you know. etc. 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 So, I think the character of the music, the instrumentation, mm. really says a lot. And I guess is an excellent example of just how, you know, thinking about those textural timbre kind of things really has an impact on what the music is saying.
2: I, I really love this. Theme. actually it's probably probably my favorite of of at least this film yeah I, it effortlessly conveys like it's it's almost like stately while still being exciting yeah
1: and very mischievous yeah. at the same
2: time yeah yeah, yeah. and and sort of pr- propulsive yeah it managed to be all of those things all at once. Yeah, a and, very, there are, and
1: there are, yeah, there are a few quite broad statements which I'll play in a second. But there is actually a, a kind of a secondary component to this mm. theme, which is the polar opposite of the bit I just played, which is this um, sort of lyrical melody that often comes in the strings. Um, and it's yeah, it's I'll, you'll hear it in this next example. But here, hear the contrast between the kind of the bold, stately, as Dan says, uh, brass going into this sort of B string theme. So here's the B theme.
0: Isn't Williams just the master of taking simple melodies mm. and throwing in what amounts to key changes or certainly throwing in chords that don't belong to that that harmonic centre and then so effortlessly bringing it back in again? It's yeah. so like it just steps out and then back in, you know. Mm. Yeah. So, that that second statement of that B melody is sort of reharmonized at the end yeah. and uh God it's just it's yeah. just so good yep. you know
1: <laughs> and it's like it's sort of it's heroic mm.
0: but still mischievous
1: and playful and with all minor chords at the same time, mm, yeah. it's sort of like how does he, yeah. How does it get away with it? <laughs> and,
2: and was that was that very beginning of the the, the performance of the more staccato theme? That's mm. accompanied by a tambourine, is it?
1: Um, yeah, yeah, like yeah, tambourine and sometimes which, sleigh bells as well. But
2: yeah, right, right. That, which I mean, I think it, again, like illustrates just the subtle use of orchestration, and this increases all the way to Azkaban, where he you know mm. uses much more interesting combinations of, of of instruments that are very unusual in a you know, <laughs> mainstream you know blockbuster. But but here you know the tambourine. I guess to some extent conjures up ideas of you know Middle Ages English folk rituals and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, it's yep, not it's yep, not yep. the kind of instrument you hear usually in a contemporary film score. Mm. No, certainly not. And you could the, you could
1: argue, and we'll maybe talk about this later with some other cues. But I mean, Harry Potter, I guess, is it's set in current days, isn't it? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yet, yet the world of of Hogwarts. Is feels very old fashioned. Yeah. And yeah. it's sort of it's almost hard to pinpoint. And I think Williams is certainly going for a bit of an old fashioned
0: medieval
3: yeah.
0: um, vibe in, in some places. I mean the, the world is definitely medieval with some really cool stuff in it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And which is why there is such a you know juxtaposition when they go to the muggle world mm. or when when you know muggles come into their world, they are always presented in the film as sort of grey, brown and yeah. boring. Mm. There's no and electricity at home. Hogwarts, you know, they don't have no. lights. They
1: have they have candles. Yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. And then
0: kerosene lamps or whatever. But they manage to also make it, you know, be really vibrant and mm. exciting and and mm. so on. And um, I think visually, have you know really point out the fact that although it's old-fashioned, this is where the excitement is and your mm. your world is sort of boring. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, well, I
2: mean, you know, I mean, we, we get the, the sort of the inversion of that through the Weasley, I mean, uh, Mr. Weasley character sort of, you know, being fas- fascinated by, what is it, you know, what he asks him, Harry, what is the function of a rubber duck, is it? Or, yeah, you know, Or yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yep, yep. You know, like being fascinated by these totally mundane muggle objects. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, question for you guys. Yes. Um,
1: where does that little staccato flying theme first appear in the film?
0: Uh, if I had to guess, and you're asking me to guess, um, I would say that, well, the most obvious one is when he first gets a broom, is it? Like, yeah, it, is it when it, he you know, first, first, first see the Nimbus 2000 in, in Diagon I mean, That would make perfect sense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: but I'm sensing that you're guessing my answer is going to be something different. Yeah. And it is. It actually appears really early on at the zoo, um, oh, when ma- sort of Harry right. does his first bit of magic and you know lit movi- light mod- motivically god it's a hard word to say <laughs> as far as thematic continuity that, it's a bit of an odd place because there's no flying involved mm. but there is a bit of mischief mischief mischievousness mm. Mischiefness? mischievousness mischievousness god mm-hmm. that's a big word <laughs> um, and I'll just play it for you now and it does have a much more playful kind of almost more innocent sorry I didn't mean to kind of makes a magic kind of vibe to it. Have a listen.
2: You know that's that's genius because you know what it becomes in that context. It becomes like almost like an old fashioned corn gold score where the, the woodwinds and the brass are chortling. They're going yeah. ha ha ha, 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 ha. <laughs> I mean that's that's the effect. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. I mean I it's amazing that it can have the flying effect and a kind of you know
1: Yeah, and with the pizzicato strings it's it's becomes more comedic and Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Th- I think you hit the nail on the head there.
0: And you know, I I want to agree and <laughs> say that uh, you know, we, we analyze so many of these scores in terms of the, the, you know, it's this theme, it's that theme, therefore, what can we mm. get out of this? But I think this one is just genuinely mm. the tone mm. and the uh, emotional intention mm. is why that theme is there, not because yep. it's there's secretly a broom behind the snake. Like Definitely. And mm.
2: I mean, like, I, I wonder as well whether a lot of these designations for these themes have been applied sort of post-hoc. To, to the film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, did William sit yeah. down and write this and sort of think I'm going to use this for flying? Like, I think maybe he's just like, this is part of the Harry Potter world. Yes.
1: Yep. And and it, that material integrates so well with Hedwig stuff. You know, they're mm. all really heavily minor key based, mm. uh, which is interesting because they're, they all represent that magic. It's almost like, yeah, it's the darkness of mm. Hogwarts and, all, and mm. all that it represents. Even though Harry is the good guy, you mm. know, he's, he's
0: the, the Jedi. he's like the Jedi sort of thing in <laughs> Dallas versus what, the, the Sith. I think what <laughs> makes Harry Potter so appealing is not just that there is magic and, and, you know, if you're a, a young kid, you think, Oh man, that wouldn't that be amazing to do magic. The thing that really struck me, even as an adult reading these is that it actually says, you know, at your school, there's lots of rules you know, there's, there's safety everywhere. You know, when you go, you play on the, you know, the the climbing equipment, you know, there's lots of safety barriers and so on in this school, there is very little safety Mm. and the kids are allowed to do magic that often ends up messing people up. Set to detention in a dangerous forest where people die. (laughs) (laughs) And I, you know, I think actually the, that is the most appealing part is not only going to a school that's full of, you know, uh, magic and and Mm. you learn to do all these things, but it's sort of, you know, rebellious the, freedom, yeah, so I mean. the you know the the muzzle is off, like you're yeah. allowed to, if you really want, you know, to go and do stuff to people that can sort mm. of really hurt them. Mm. And I think that these melodies show that there is always this this danger, this darkness mm. bubbling underneath the surface. and magic is not there's not just good magic and bad magic. There's magic that can be used for all sorts of different purposes. yeah, mm. I
2: mean, I think I think, yes, absolutely, that one of the things that the books undertake really effectively is this transition between children's literature and young adult literature which is children's literature as i've heard it described by you know authors and and, and literary theorists is about discovering that there is a world larger than yourself yep and encountering it and figuring out what the limits are and that's what we see in Philosopher's Stone and a few others that, you know, there are limits, hard limits that he comes up against. Mm. Whereas young adult literature is about well, what happens if we if we transgress those limits and yeah, we sort of push beyond them. And that's, that's, you know, what happens over the course of Harry Potter is, mm. you know, by the last few films, the last few books, they're really, you know, they're out on their own.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And there aren't any adults around to sort mm. of save them. Yeah. You know? yep. Let's move on because- what we're going to talk about
1: next is actually our first major key hey. Hey. <laughs> theme. Beers all around. <laughs> Sorry, but, but, but butter beers. beers all around. <laughs> um, and it's what we'll call, I guess, Harry's theme or even like the family theme. Mm. It's a very simple melody in, in triple time. What is triple time, guys? It's, triple time. It's got time. Three, threes in it. It's got threes. Very good. <laughs> triple. I've never heard it, it referred to triple time. Well, triple time is it could be... Yeah, anything with threes in it. So, three, oh, okay. three four is triple time. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, three, eight could be three triple eight, time. Yeah. Whatever. Okay. Okay.
0: It's got threes. It's got threes, yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you.
1: Um, and it's very, it's very light, delicate, nostalgic yearning. And I guess the reason we'd call it Harry's theme is because it often appears when he's by himself. Um, you know, he's in this brand new school, he's making new friends, but he's still kind of a bit lonely. And, mm. you know, there's always uh, talk in the film about his family, his parents who- uh, were killed by, well, we, he assumes in a car crash, but uh, by he who shall not be named <coughs> Voldemort.
0: Um, <laughs> no, and, I'll, be, I'll beep that out. I'll yeah. beep that out
1: and this little theme actually first appears just before Hagrid arrives, very early when it's Harry's birthday. He's got no friends, no cake, no candles, and he's kind of writing himself a little happy birthday in sort of in the dirt, in, in the ground. So very simple, really high kind of oboe, almost in an mm. awkward high register. So it doesn't feel, uh, it doesn't feel safe. You know, it, we, mm. we can tell it's a nice theme, but it's it's sort of yet to earn its its warmth yet.
0: Mm. And I think the, the the warmth is sucked out of it because of those shimmering strings mm. that yeah. are underneath it, sort of going, you know, it's sort of it's it's a. Yeah, it's not yeah. just joy. You no, know, and it's
1: all. him almost like dreaming of, of a better time or, a, or a, you know, mm. a, a, of being loved. Mm. Kind of like when we, you know, in Star Wars, we had Princess Leia's theme. It was uh, a hologram. It was, it was a bit of a, almost like a dream. Mm. She's not there in reality, mm. you know, sh- showing her strong feelings in mm. person. And we're sort of thinking about her. Mm. You know? Yeah. It's uh, thinking of Harry theme. Yeah. <laughs> 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 or thinking of his family theme. Yeah. Yeah. Um, listen to our Raiders episode if you want the reference there. <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) But later on when Harry is – I guess it's a cue called uh, Lonely First Night where Harry has had his first day at Hogwarts and he's just thinking by the window –
2: lovely I, I, like I, I really like this theme as mm. well like there are a couple of sort of the more emotional themes from the harry potter universe that I, i'm not quite so keen on perhaps one that we'll discuss in a moment which is, like is fine but i just don't love it whereas this one i just think it's so lovely and 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 i feel like it. i mean lyrical is the right word because mm. especially the way it's phrased all of the notes lead directly into each other they're all the same length of the first part of that phrase where it really feels like we're sort of just you know, moving up in this complete, you know, sentence almost just like da 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 da, 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 yeah. da and just at the moment we want to take
1: a breath. It's almost like it's a child like, has come to the piano and just playing. Yeah.
2: And we'd be taking a breath, and now it's yeah. the full. You know, it's like now we're singing, we're fully. You know,
0: yeah. and it's. It's it's just really nice. they are actually, even though I think all of John Williams' melodies are so singable, Mm. in reality, a lot of Williams' melodies are actually quite, there's a lot of leaps up and down, which are easy to play on the piano, but actually not easy to sing, really. Whereas this is one of those melodies that is a singable melody. Mm. You know, it's it's in steps and it moves around and it's just very easy to sing. And, and what I thought was really interesting with the start of that uh, melody there, Nick, is the the Celeste comes in again and it's just yeah. constantly rising all the way through it. Yeah, and and it just just keeps going up, keeps going up the entire time. And it almost feels like that, you know, because really the Celeste is that magic, is that thing that the, you know, those hopes of magic and Mm. and a sort of bubbling up from down and they're, you know, ascending, 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 and it just sort of disappears. And yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's sort of such a lovely little musical representation of, of that. and And here the strings, yeah, aren't flittering or
1: flying around or shimmering. They're just, yeah sort of portraying warmth down mm. down down the
2: lower uh, end. I mean it is really the emotional heart of the the movie as well, mm, I think. You is. know this this is the melody that comes in right at the end when they're all together and they've yep. they've helped each other because they genuinely like each other, yeah. which is not that common a thing in in blockbusters these days and hasn't been for about, you know, 15 20 years and it i
1: mean it's i think so maybe it could be the friendship theme yeah we can we can rename it you know Mm. and at first it's harry longing for friendship Mm. or or family or closeness Mm. Mm. and at the end yeah he sort of gets it because because it does it
0: swell up and it has a but i i I would actually argue that family theme is still perfect because in reality ron and hermione are his family you know because (laughs) he doesn't have a family (laughs) And they become his family. Yeah, Yeah. you know, over the course of the film. So, yeah. And the best bit, there's a tritone in here,
3: guys. (laughs) Yeah, our our favourite
1: interval. It's it's right. Have a listen. I'll I'll play the second phrase that Mm. it's sometimes it's you know sort of alternate second line. Here we go. Oh, there it is. So we've basically got D major chords. they're very cleverly disguised. Yeah. By the Williams, mm. And it just, it, that's almost like the, it's the yearning in there, you know, it's really, it's really lovely. And it,
0: it- Sorry, it's uh, it's normally called the Devil's interval. Well, but could we call it the Voldemort interval? Yeah, <laughs> mm.
2: yeah or or just the the magic interval? Oh, ah, and it's okay. the dark magic. I don't know. Yeah. Right? but I mean, yeah, yeah, it's you know, it's just you know, you playing that again there and highlighting the intervals. It just, I mean, it's like it's just that amazing, almost mirror structure where the first phrase intervals that are one, two notes apart, really. And yep. then second phrase, huge the, leaps. Yeah,
1: yep. Hmm. And check out this how great is this chord. This is a D, a D sharp eleven on F sharp for all these jazz <laughs> jazz hounds. <laughs> there's there's so much wow. there's wow. so much beauty but tension in there. I know. I, I love that chord. I think it's it's not used enough in film.
0: And <laughs> I am a absolute sucker for a suspended chord. Yeah. And I love that. When you go from that D-sharp chord That it resolves Not right away And there's the resolution He makes you wait for the resolution That little bit longer (laughs) than it needs to be And yeah, it's great Yeah, very Mm. great
1: Mm. Um, Now, like... The flying theme was a very close cousin of Hedwig's theme. Uh, there's another theme in triple time. Triple time. Four, got three, it, four, four. Yep, yeah. got it. Uh, for you music people out mm-hmm. there. Um, that is very closely related to Harry's theme. And uh, I'm not quite sure what it's called. We're going to call it the Harry's wondrous world theme. And I guess it's probably, it, to me it occurs in the film. What's very interesting is that this, this theme is heard an hour and 23 minutes into the film. Wow. So like yonks yeah, into okay. it. Uh, it's in the second it's in Act two in the live concert version so it really we have to earn it and to me it more is representative of sort of Harry's heroic deeds uh, or sort of you know an expression of his newfound place in the world of magic and it's this one <laughs> So, it's instantly quite quite distinct two parts is, is sort of what what makes it up. And we kind of, yeah, it's this sort of broad melody that is almost like answered by a little kind of moment of festiveness, a little kind of win.
3: Yay! No, yeah. <laughs> so it's like
1: Harry's little tiny little fanfare. It's like it's little baby mm, trumpets mm. coming out of his pocket and playing a little, <laughs> hey,
0: you did it. And it's that, what is it about that, Dan, do you think that makes it feel like maybe medieval is not the word, but it's... There is something very—it's not even British. I, you A bit or, yeah, or, yeah, or regal,
1: yeah, regal,
3: fokey. Is that what it is? Yeah,
1: yeah, regal. Yeah. I mean, the intervals are very stately. It's sort mm. of—it's either major chords and sort of like fourths and fifths.
2: Mm. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Yeah, you can imagine if you put that in the brass, that, that could, could be really triumphantly an, announcing mm. yeah. the announcing king or something. something. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, I mean, look, this is the theme that I—I I, like. It's fine. I don't have anything against it. I just don't love it as, as probably as much as a lot of the other themes in this score. Uh, just to me, it's just little like a little bit too American, a little bit too saccharine. The rest of this film is quite... I mean, even the music, I think, does well with that sort of British style to it. Whereas mm. this, this sounds like it could be a little... Uh, it could be a home in Jurassic Park. Yeah. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. 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 Um, and so to me... Yeah, I mean, I've just always, always just not quite been able to go with it. But it is nice and it is used. But as well, I don't think it's very surprising to me that it sort of drops off in the later films in terms of its usage. Yeah.
1: And it has, uh, you know, it often gets elaborated to sort of have a slightly longer form. With a few modulations here. Little fanfare, different chords there. So yeah, it's sort of Williams likes to kind of introduce things and then just sort of play around with them. Yeah. Again, those sort of oddball chords
0: thrown in there, yeah, if it just to sort of say, "Yep, we're still at we're still at Hogwarts." It's just <laughs> it's stepping. I you know I, I feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over again, but. In the same world that you, as an audience member, are, are stepping from the real world into the magic world, then back to the real world, then back in, mm. those chords are that it's normal, not normal, normal, not normal, and it's just yep. constantly moving in and out all the time. Like, all of these melodies are the same, yeah. you know.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's like um, like here's here's this right, but mm. but did you also expect this? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah. And before you've had too long to get used to the the oddball chord, he mm. just returns straight back. Mm. You know, like it's, you know, did you really see it? Did you really hear it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's really cool.
1: Speaking of that regal theme, so here's here's where it actually happens in the film. It's at the very end of the Quidditch match where it's sort of he's got the snitch and everything is sort of hunky-dory. So broad melody followed by... Love Gryffindor.
3: <laughs>
1: and um, yeah, so I think you hit the nail on the head there, Dan, with the sort of the yeah, the little, yeah, not, not British, but I think regal or sort of stately mm. little fanfare is, is, is a good way to put it. Now, one of the most, I'm going to play a, a performance here where it's a very rare scene in the film where nothing happens except music there's no dialogue no sound effects or anything and it's um after harry's seen his parents in the the mirror of erised and then sort of goes outside in the snow with hedwig and the bird flies around the castle we get you know glorious shots and stuff but it's great because williams seamlessly moves from this sort of harry's wondrous world theme uh into that family theme and i think it's uh, to me this is where it's like yep that family theme is the winner mm. Mm. it really it really sells the emotion of the film i think more more than the first one Our faces at each other at those really again wacky kind of strings. Just a few wrong notes. Mm. Oh, in there. Okay, if
0: you if you maybe maybe you missed it listening on the podcast. Um, we're not going to play it again. Rewind 15, 30 seconds or something. <laughs> Double tap on that on that iPhone and. Yeah, there is – listen to the strings. The strings are playing a counter melody the entire way through that that cue from the family sort of melody or theme onwards. And they start out with a really, really gorgeous counter melody. Like it's, it's just angular and beautiful and amazing and they sort of, you know, play up around in the, the gods for a little bit. But they are doing some really weird stuff. Yeah. You know, there's some – Massive tensions that they're actually playing with, but you don't notice it. And then, right at the end, it would have to be the jazziest, yeah. you know, sort of most angular um, finish to that <laughs> that um, <laughs> to that counter melody. I sort of feel like you know Williams was at the piano, and then just like, oh, where does this go? Uh, here's some jazz ending, yeah. and Al an <laughs> flew in, knocked his coffee over, and he's just. <laughs> yeah it's such a <laughs> but I, I never noticed that before just listening to that now in, in the headphones um, I'm like whoa okay there's a lot going on there so yeah check that out do mm. you guys know there's a school song in Harry Potter
1: what are the words yeah. I don't know I think it's it predates lyrics
0: <laughs> it's very old it predates song predates the mm. spoken word <laughs> yeah
1: so there's actually a, and in the score it's just called inverted commas school song yeah, cool. uh, when it appears but I think yeah, we can probably call it the Hogwarts theme, mm. maybe, maybe the Gryffindor theme. Who knows? And it's only heard a couple of times, but it's really, it's very interesting because it's it's again really speaks to that old world, you know, heritage of of of, of Britain and and the stateliness of of the school and tradition and all these things. Yet Williams loves to sort of play around with it. And the first time we hear it is actually during the Sorting Hat cue, played on recorders. Oh nice. yes, have a listen. Uh-huh.
0: What do you think? I think that <laughs> I, all I could think about then is I want somebody in podcast land to write some lyrics <laughs> to. Surely someone's done that. The Hogwarts mm. school thing. Well, I mean, in the books,
2: they do talk about the Hogwarts school song. Yeah. Do they have lyrics in it? I can't remember. Yeah. Okay. Um, I actually,
1: I suspect that they do
2: yeah ah, uh, mm. yeah, there's the Hogwarts song, I think,
1: yeah. Uh, you wonder what Williams maybe read it and then sort of wrote a song that matches? Yeah, 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 no, that's right. Yes, yes, it is in the books. It is
2: in the books. It is, in fact, in the first book where Dumbledore says, we're going to sing the Hogwarts song. Everybody pick their favorite tune and off we go. So it doesn't have a shared tune. Oh, yeah,
0: and yeah. And like yeah, the yeah.
2: lyrics are Hogwarts, Hogwarts, Hoggy Warty, Hogwarts. Teach us something, please,
0: etc. Okay, okay. Hogwarts, okay.
1: Hogwarts, yeah. Hogwarts, Hogwarts. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah okay, yeah. Just Dan and I are going to sing. Oh, it. my God. <laughs> okay, can <laughs> to, you to can to that line it up? Yeah, to that melody. Can you line it do up? Me, do we just play on the piano? Um, <laughs> yeah, why not? Why not? Okay, you ready? <coughs> Hogwarts, Hogwarts, Hoggy Warty, Hogwarts teach us something, please. <laughs> Whether we be old and and bold yeah, no, there? Scabby knees Yeah
2: The wow. first phrase works though That is working.
1: Yeah. yeah. Second phrase not yeah. so much but We'll you- understand if you want to turn off listeners yeah. <laughs> We'll never do that
0: again That's no. all right. yeah. <laughs> Don't worry guys I'll edit yeah. it out <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um,
1: But what, look, what's great about Williams I mean through this whole score um, He does this twisting churning thing With the harmony again I mean what I played then Is almost like The wholesome version That it would have been Had this been a regal English film You know
2: imagine that being like while the war was going on in the 1940s (laughs) like a propaganda film like here here goes old Tommy over to fight you know yeah totally
1: (laughs) (laughs) but have a listen to this next cue how Williams takes that exact tune and just check out the wacky harmony it's like some kind has slipped on a banana every so often
0: Do you think that is representative of a high school, you oh. know, concert band mm. <laughs> version played beautifully? Played beautifully, yeah. yeah. But don't you don't you think that mm. the the mood it gives is you can imagine a concert band honking that out, yeah. And really. there's you hear the odd wrong note pop out, and someone just holds a you know they <laughs> haven't read an accidental, and and that's what that sounds like, yeah. but just beautifully played.
1: Yeah,
2: you know? yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Mm. yeah. Cool, isn't it? I love it. <laughs> now, let's
1: get to the, the, the main reason we're here, which, of course, is the Philosopher's Stone.
0: Mm, We've been uh, wasting not, time not, until not, this moment. Not the Sorcerer's Stone. Not the Sorcerer's Stone, <gasps> the Philosopher's yeah. Stone. And, okay, I know we have a lot of American listeners. Mm. Hello to our friends over the Pacific. <laughs> this, I hate to break it to you guys. Mm. You are the only people in the world <laughs> who think it's called the Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah. I don't blame you. I just blame <laughs> the uh, the publisher. Yeah, the publishers. Um, who believe that Why has it changed? Well, the, quite literally, the publisher believed that young kids, because it was at that particular point, it was for very young kids, um, young kids would be really turned off by the idea of reading something with the word philosopher in it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, they then went to Joe Rowling, Rowling and said- you know, can we change this? Because we just don't think it will sell. Mm. And she ended up agreeing. So, they didn't do it on their own, you know, off their own bat. But they, she ended up agreeing saying, okay, fine, we'll do Sorcerers. Mm-hmm. Because it's still got a similar vibe and fine, you get around your, yeah. your problem. And Sorcerers are maybe, maybe more exciting from a marketing point of view. But that ended up being reported, at least from, from Joe herself, mm. as one of her few regrets. Yeah that she actually agreed to do that. Now, yeah. of course, she was super early in her career. And is it for
1: the books as well as the films? Yeah, okay, both. So, so the, book,
0: the books in yeah. America are So, it became standard. like a, a big old problem, not just for that one book, but actually mm. into the future too, because they, when they were shooting the film, they actually had to re every single time philosopher is mentioned. Wow. They had to redo the scene with sorcerers in it. <laughs> and so, there's an American version oh, and yeah. an everyone you know, else version. I've done wow. this
1: all over the world and I've actually never picked up on the fact that some of them obviously say sorcerer and
0: some philosopher. I'm
1: yeah. gonna I'm gonna watch next time I'm conducting yeah. and see if I can pick the mouth difference. Oh, do you reckon they actually refilmed? There
0: are, from what I've read, there there are both. They're refilmed okay. and where they thought they just could get away with other times. it, yeah, they just mm-hmm. dumped. Okay. So interesting, yeah. There, I mean, there's a few
2: other changes as well. Hilarious. oh great, uh, yeah. Yep. I mean, yeah, yeah us, just, just be- between <laughs> between the between the two books. So mum and and mam, which is Seamus's in in the book, writes my, mam uh, is. Mom, M-O-M, motorbike is motorcycle, chips is fries, crisp (laughs) is chip, and jelly is jello. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Um, Which, yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's interesting.
2: It's kind of localized, I guess, in that sense.
0: But anyway, what what has happened (laughs) with that whole uh, name change now is that now that these films are coming out again with orchestras, there's a whole hullabaloo again with it, so we're having to request the non-American artwork, and because mm. we're dealing with the American office, they forget that and send over the Sorcerer's Stone sometimes. And oh my lord, it's still going on. So I can see why <laughs> wow. why there's a regret there. So yeah,
1: anyway, for ease, we're going to call this the Stone motif. <laughs>
0: okay, great. Yeah,
1: um, and this is. Sim- oh, oh,
2: sorry, sorry, sorry. Just got to say, so if it's. By J.K. Rowling, then it's the R- Rowling Stone, right? Nailed it. Like the ro- Rolling Stone? Yeah, okay, nice. yeah, yeah. 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 Wow, yeah. you
0: should wow. cut that out. No. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Sorry, Dan. Say, that's staying I'm, in there I'm for your shame sh- and embarrassment. Yeah, I'm leaving your
0: shame. No, no, I, I love that band. <laughs> you don't listen to Nick. I love that. <laughs> so let's
1: listen to the stone motif.
0: Are there any tritones in that? No. It's uh. much it's much
1: closer. But you know, when you play those notes together, they're not pleasant. So mm, there's no. a definite, you know, minor I mean the first interval is a minor third. But so, that's a major third, it's uh, a major third. Yeah, so, yeah, it's sort yeah. of this,
0: yeah, is it good, is it bad? Yeah. I mean, is the stone, mm. it's sort of like the... That's true, actually, because it's, it's not good or bad. No. It can be used mm. for bad purposes, but mm. it can also
2: be good. So, maybe that's encapsulated in that mm. little theme there. I mean, it's quite elemental, really, in terms of film music as well. You can easily imagine in the silent era some pianist accompanying a a silent film just like being, oh, yep, here's my improvised sort of evildoers theme. It's, you know, just these three notes um, similar to, you know, the two notes in in Jaws. It's just sort of, it just conjures up something.
1: But, I mean, this not the first time Williams has done something like this or was it the last time? Uh Oh, okay. Tell me where this other Williams three-note motive is from. So, they were both from actually Indiana Jones films, believe it mm. or not. Um, one was from Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the
0: Crystal Skull. That's why I wasn't picking it. I'm like, oh. where is that? I didn't pick the first oh, no, one. No, no. It's, it's, yeah. it's,
2: it's a great little theme. I actually yeah. think the, the Crystal Skull has got some really interesting music yeah. to it. But
0: a similar,
1: like, you know, uh, uh, an, a strange artifact. Yeah. Both these are sort of otherworldly strange artifacts that yeah. Williams is treated with yep. really kind of three note or three, I mean, uh, the arc theme is sort of chords, you know. Mm whatever it is. Yep. Um yeah, in in a very like you said elemental and and simple way that really mm. conveys a bit of evil mm. and unsuredness. I it's love that
0: there's a consistency with strange artifacts. Yeah. I've never thought about it that way. <laughs> uh, you know, and actually I've not, I haven't really thought about the philosopher's stone being a strange yeah. you know artifact that has sort of power that we yeah. shouldn't really be investigating totally too much. yeah Indiana Jones and the Philosopher's
2: Stone couldn't you hey. like, yeah. there we go <laughs> <laughs> that's an
1: idea yeah <laughs> Spielberg's gonna come back for yeah. that yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but look like like William's themes from the, the Indiana Jones saga he often treats them to big bombastic presentations mm. and it's no different in Harry Potter and here we get a much louder version of the Philosopher's Stone theme uh, this time with some appropriately wooing courses.
0: And there's that chorus again, yeah. mm. where it's, it's almost that element of religioso yeah, power. Yeah, absolutely. I think actually very differently used than the start of the film. The, the you know the female chorus is used, and I think also interestingly they're not saying any words. Yeah, yeah. it's just oohs and yep. ahs. and very in dissonance. You know, yeah, and mm. sort of have these close so, harmonies. Yeah, the 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 uh, the chorus, the choir are used as a an effect rather than a you know mm. traditional choir, and here it's yeah it's sinister. It is it is more like that Indiana Jones thing where they've got the angels who yeah. are sort of going whoa, you know <laughs> what's going on. And but I mean, but I uh, mean, angels not in terms yeah. of heavenly lovely, but mm. angels with this is mm. a warning. Like you know? if you put
1: that cue under, you know, Belloc lifting the lid and like. Pfft, putting his hand through the sand in the arc mm. like it would yeah. work perfectly yeah it's mm. the yeah
2: same I, effect I, th- I mean I think probably the only difference is is that that theme even as presented there never really opens up whereas with the arc yeah. you get the different chords like if you were to play that main melody but then put I'm not sure what key it's in but put like the minor 6th underneath it and then mm. like yeah and then yeah. And then even take that harmony. Yeah. yeah exactly yeah, yeah like that's in, that's yep. what would yep. be in the Indiana yep. Jones version. Well, I that's think. that's Chamber of Secrets, but that's another whole story. Okay.
1: all right. <laughs> well, I'm going brief- to briefly have my bone now. Okay. So, we're not going to talk about Chamber of, Sec- of Secrets except for the fact that this film, it is abundantly clear that that music is the stone motif. It happens without fail every single time the stone is mentioned or talked about or seen.
3: Mm.
1: Yet It is plastered all over Chamber of Secrets with no stone in sight. (laughs) And it it drives me bonkers as a (laughs) a, a continuity thing. But anyway, there's there's many reasons behind that, which Mm. we won't discuss today. Last but not least of our main themes is the Voldemort (sighs) <sighs>
0: you said it, Nick I <laughs> did
1: But, you know, I'm, I'm wondering whether I and everyone in the film is saying it incorrectly Because I mm, went and yeah. saw the Cursed Child play that's on in London at the moment mm. And soon to open in New York and Melbourne, <gasps> actually, next year Yeah, got announced in yeah. Melbourne But mm. what I notice is that throughout the entire play, they say Voldemort
2: Yep as if it's like Voldemort. French. That's you no, know, it is. It is French because it means it means run from death. As okay. In, well, I mean, you know, mort. I mean, mort. Yeah, mort is, 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 is it's spelled it's with French an e. R- on okay. The end, so but,
1: why, yeah. like, why did all eight films get it so wrong? Like J.K. Rowling was a you yeah. know executive producer, wasn't she? Yeah. Shouldn't you should stop? Cut, guys. Yeah. Telling you again, it's Voldemort. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's just, I find that really bizarre. Yeah.
0: Do you think that during the writing of the the play, because they got a an actual playwright to pen it, didn't they? They did. Mm. That- they actually just said, I think there should be, because they did a lot with that play. I mean, there's- um, We're going to re- rewrite history here. <laughs> yeah, there's there's an awful lot of, you know, I think it's why it mm. has some fans really excited and also some fans up in arms because they actually change all sorts of things in yeah. that play. And that, yeah, obviously that's why I didn't realise yeah. that though. I didn't know they did that. Mm. I mean, stage. I suppose, I mean,
2: probably the obvious answer is just that in stage performance, you play pay closer attention to the dialogue and the yeah. int- intonation mm. and what you do with the words, I suppose, yep. whereas film, can be more about images and movement
1: yeah true. sure anyway so look Voldemort gets not one but two little motifs. and they're they're small but they're certainly noticeable and the first one Voldemort's theme a <laughs> has I guess a more distinct sort of angular rhythm and it seems to kind of arrive anytime. We sort of are talking about Voldemort, you know, and like and the bad stuff that he's done. And the first appearance of it in the film is actually in Ollivander's wand shop mm. when he's telling Harry about, you know, such John and such Hurt. person. Uh, great John Hurt, yes. Such and such person had, you know, a very similar wand to you. So, immediately, instrumentation-wise, what are you guys hearing there? Oh, some, d- like, um, uh, double bassoons and stuff?
2: Or? Yeah, contra bassoons, sorry, yeah. Yep. Um,
1: and, right. and sort of low, low horns, yep. sometimes sort of stopped or muted mm. um, to really create the kind of buzzing, sinister effect. Mm. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's simple, but it's, uh, there's certainly a darkness mm. uh, the, in, in, in that stuff. Is there is that theme used in the other films? It is used a grand total of once in the Chamber of Secrets, oh, okay. at the exact moment when we actually see Tom Riddle write. You know when mm. he kind of reveals that he yeah. is Voldemort. Yeah, right? Yep. It plays it. Yeah. But for the rest of the film, every, any mention of Voldemort and his bad stuff is actually. Is the stone
2: motive <laughs> Well Speaking of that moment I just I mean that's the perfect Translator's nightmare Isn't it You gotta <laughs> Make an anagram work In, in another language Yeah the, Yeah Yeah right It's um, yep. Yeah okay I think, I think it means actually In one language I can't remember which one it is But his middle name is Is Elvis <laughs> 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 because that's just the only way that they could do. I can't remember what language it is. I'm yeah, sure I did right. Though. I never
1: thought mm. about that
0: mm. yeah yeah mm. okay
3: mm. Yeah, that's cool.
1: But look have a listen now to I guess what we call the, the the secondary Voldemort motive, which is much more snaky and sort of sinewy and it really has this sort of uh, creepy line, almost like he's sort of scheming himself. <laughs> And this is during the sequence where Harry has this sort of the flashback. Um, sorry, Hagrid has a flashback back to um, when when Harry's parents were, were killed. Mm. So putting those two together, and this is what Williams does so great. You can really hear the contrast in the two themes. And this is the moment where we we basically see um, who's the bad teacher. Quirrell. 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 That's right. Professor Take, Quirrell. takes his his turban off, or that weird sure. piece yep. he has, mm-hmm. to reveal Voldemort stuck to something. the back of his head yeah, yeah very yep. bizarre yep so some stone motive first Voldemort theme second theme. So, they're very, again, it's like throughout this whole film, Williams is sort of writing these themes that sort of have like these two parts. There's always a bit Mm. of duality going Mm. on and they they really kind of complement each other.
0: I I think it's a strange melody for Williams as well. Like the rhythm Mm. is strange. It's so... uh, you know, it's it's sort of very jagged, but not in the way that he normally does. It's like long, short, long, short, long, short, long. Yeah. Like, that's a very strange... Maybe Voldemort has a limp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, then he has the strings underneath that are totally sort of uh, legato, long and, and smooth. Mm. And they have no rhythm in them at all. And throwing those together it's sort of like a you know once again it's that that sort of maybe that magic or that you know that sort of sinewy thing but then there's a jaggedness on top well Voldemort at this point is
2: incomplete yes he's you know living a half-life as they sort of say Mm. in, in the books and the film and he you know I mean that kind of makes sense it feels like kind of half a melody
1: like, yeah, it's not hugely memorable. And I mean, maybe that's the biggest shame of the whole series is yeah. that by the time we kind of Voldemort... Like Voldemort never really gets a theme yeah, uh, like outside of this. Like maybe one of the composers in the... There's, which series does he get fully like in, in revealed? Goblet
2: of, no, in Goblet of Fire, Patrick Doyle does this really nice little... Uh, yeah, little little bit, yeah, bit that that just it works quite nicely. Okay. I mean it's it's not, you know, this amazing memorable thing that that will stick with filmgoers forever, but it it works
0: well in that in that graveyard scene. Gobbler yeah. the fire is the first time he actually is Full, made whole, full yeah, made whole. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So yeah, and it's a good it's, full-bodied Voldemort.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it, and it's that scene where he he appears that we get a bit of quite strong Voldemort music, but that doesn't return at all. Uh, there's quite little thematic consistency yeah. post Williams.
0: I mean, in this moment, he feels like. What's, what's the character's name from the sci-fi film Quato Qu- from uh, is it Quato
1: oh Total Recall Total Recall oh, all, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, he's, you've got, he's got the alien yeah. child stuck onto the, the yeah, yeah, totally
0: yeah yeah that someone else becomes a vessel for <laughs> the guy that's smuggling around <laughs> yeah. God, yeah. yeah anyway yeah.
1: <laughs> anyway let's have some fun guys yep. <laughs> moving on have a listen first of all to this What film is this from? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, no, I mean, that's that's great, actually. I love this about the, the Williams Potter scores, that this sort of, you know, slightly bizarre medieval <laughs> Baroque- Set piece sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Don't which, you think this is, even though it's not, but this is the closest he comes to having uh, diegetic music
1: in yeah. this film. Yeah. You it almost sounds like it's a little band in Diagon Alley.
2: Yeah. Um, oh, well, playing- it- uh, with, there was one example that is, I think, diegetic music. That oh. We'll get to in a moment. Yep. But yep. No, 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 let's, let's not get okay. ahead of ourselves. But, yep. but yes, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, it's like it feels very of the world. Yes, uh, yeah. absolutely. You know, sort of period instruments. We're, just for people, you know, not sure. We've got recorders there sort of playing. You know, there's things like uh, percussion, finger cymbals, a bit of tambourine, mm. sort of grotesque fiddle solo mm. towards the end there. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, and, you know, like I'm sure, well, I hope, that we will eventually get to the third film with an episode because that is my favourite of the Harry Potter scores yep. by some margin. Mm. It is absolutely incredible. But just to quickly flag that it does develop with this sort of focus on on period style music yep. to just you know I'll give you five seconds of this of Hagrid the Professor from Prisoner of Azkaban. I just sort of can't believe that you can get away with putting that kind of music in a major blockbuster. (laughs)
3: Like how
2: I just, it's, it's just, I mean, it's genius, but it's also amazing that he was allowed to do that.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it it really is. It's just, you know, steering into the whole, this is sort of a medieval Mm. vibe uh, throughout the entire thing. And Mm. therefore that makes sense. Yep. You know, Um, it works within the world.
1: Yeah. Now, interestingly, the version I played before was the the concert version of the Diagon Alley music. Um, Here's actually what Williams wrote for, for the film. It's like the first one was the rehearsal. Yeah, okay, yeah. guys, um, <laughs> yeah. before we break, we got five yeah. minutes left. Double time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um,
0: I like that version so much more. I mean, it, it's it's more fun. Yep. You know, mm. I think when you first uh, go into Diagon Alley as a – or you're, you're experiencing it with Harry for the first mm. time. It's, you know, it's also the first time that he's moved from the muggle world to the magic world. Mm. And that music – conveys the colour and excitement and mm. the, you know, the strangeness of everything mm. probably more successfully than the concert version. Mm. Though I think the concert version is the the version that once you've got over the excitement, you're now just walking the normal streets and yeah. everything's, <laughs> like I, I pointed out before, crooked and weird and, mm. you know, which is that, that violin solo that comes over the top. Yeah. But mm. I didn't uh, realise that they had two totally different yeah. versions, one for a concert version and...
1: Well, I'm about to drop a, a huge bombshell on you guys. Yes. I'm ready. Wow, okay. I'm ready. So... Both those versions that I just played do not appear anywhere in the film. Okay, now I'm angry. So, (laughs) um, what actually ended up happening in the end was that they replaced that fabulous Diagon Alley music with a cue from the Great Hall, which is basically when all the kids walk into the massive hall in Hogwarts. So, And people kind of forget about this. But if you go watch the film, it has this build-up. Diagonally is revealed and we get actually this.
0: I'm definitely angry mm. now. So, maybe he
2: wasn't allowed to get away with it. Maybe it's only, <laughs> maybe it's only in the third film. Maybe. Though.
1: Look, I have absolutely no idea why this was sort of retracked in because mm. it's exactly the same performance as later. So, it's, it's, mm. it's been like an edit mm. because like he plays the Diagon Alley music at concerts mm. and um, it's on the soundtrack album and stuff. Um,
0: so, you're, you're telling me that or telling the listeners that the Diagon Alley music, which is like you said, playing concerts yep. on the CD, you know, blah blah blah, never ever appears in the film. No. So if you just saw the film, you would not know that music ever exists. Okay, now I'm mm. even more angry now. Mm. It's like
1: um, it's like <laughs> kind of like the concert version of Princess Leia's theme. You know, yeah, like we, yeah, right. like it's great, but we don't actually get that in the film. Yeah, we get well, the material. But, at least. But you get
2: that at least in the end credits. Uh,
1: a little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas this is like a complete, just sorry, John. It's it's cut. Mm. (laughs) from the film and I mean how do you guys feel what's the difference in in the musical content like what does it make you feel differently because I think the the banquet cue or that sort of great hall cue still works oh I think that's fine it just has it has to me more more kind of magic about it less periodness
2: yeah yeah I think it's it's trying to work harder to convey a kind of majesty and fascination rather than the than the original cue, which is much more about like, hey, this is kind of its own weird world that you've just entered. Yeah. And we're sort of not really going to tell you how to feel about it. Whereas the second cue is telling you how to feel.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So he's, I think I yeah. agree. 100%, so, his recorders are gone. That's so sad. Mm. Yeah. Doesn't ah. that doesn't that suck? Mm. It does suck. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, <laughs> look, but look, um, Dude, I, I, you you told me when we were coming into this this part, Nick we're going to have some fun. Uh,
1: well, now- fun in revealing like <laughs> w- stuff like that. Fun can be disappointing at, s- at the same time. You know, <laughs> we're going to play cricket guys. You're on the bench. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, sort of like that. <laughs> That's all sort the of fun. I got it. I got it. <laughs> now this, this kind of great hall music. Yeah. yeah ba-bum, 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 ba-bum. It's kind of cool. It has a little boppiness, but I'm glad to say, and maybe we'll have some fun here. Is that the recorders weren't completely <laughs> axed from the herself. film. Okay. cool. During the sorting hack scene, he does this sort of great hall music on recorders, so we're, we're sort of half redeemed.
2: Mm. Yeah. Uh, just, just uh, did, didn't we get the Hogwarts song on uh, recorders earlier?
1: Um, Yeah, I guess we did. Yeah, Mm. there is a performance of it.
0: I was too busy singing the lyrics. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: Mm. Now, this whole sequence when they're in the hall is a cue called The Banquet. And it's, again, not the first time Williams has written a cue called The Banquet. (laughs) So, I'm going to play the banquet music from Harry Potter and then his banquet music from another film. And I want to see if you guys can tell me what it is. nice and sort of feast, festive music. Mm.
2: Nicholas Buck, I think that is the first time in the history of this podcast that you've played me a John Williams Q and I've not known what film it's from.
0: <sighs> Andrew? The only other banquet music I know, but this is almost certainly not it, maybe it is, is uh, in Temple of Doom. Okay. When... Um, I
1: won't tell you what it is yet. I'll play a couple more things because yeah, I want to talk about- I like this. John Williams' festive music. Yes. Okay. And 1A, what makes it festive? And 2, just to hear a few different- I mean, this, this particular example, like um, from Harry Potter, they're eating. They're at a massive, huge, long dining table eating together. So, there's sort of – there's an element of, of happiness, of, you know, getting together. And one common thing is the sleigh bells, which, of course, we associate with mm. normally. With,
0: with Christmas. Christmas. With Christmas. Yeah.
1: And Christmas is a festive time. But I'm going to play three cues back to back. One is arriving at a hotel <laughs> – from a film one is a (laughs) wedding that happens in a film and one is actually from the same film that i just played where people are eating so none of these are really to do with christmas but the sleigh bells are there really as like the kind of i guess orchestrational thread so have a listen to these three examples Number two. Number three. Wow What'd you think? Great v- um, Very very yeah. similar mood isn't Yeah it? But yeah different, different contexts
2: So yeah. I assume the first one is Home Alone
1: uh, First one yep was Home, Home Alone yeah. Home Alone 2 When he arrives uh, in, at the, yeah, the, the Plaza Hotel yep. In New mm-hmm. York Yep The second one With the wedding The wedding
0: I mean there's the wedding theme there Just quoted Yeah, in the yeah. yeah da, 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 Here comes the bride yep. Yeah
2: I can never remember Whether that's Mendelssohn or Wagner Because they both wrote one that uh, Mendelssohn. Yep. Mendelssohn Yeah Mendelssohn yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, no, that's Wagner. Mendelssohn. Wagner. Is yeah. Yeah. I like that one better. I think that's even, even though I like
2: Wagner better as a composer, yeah. I
1: like that better. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's actually from the terminal. The um, it's where the, the wow. customs officer lady gets married to the, the guy, the food catering dude.
0: I <laughs> The guy from Rogue One. I'm not upset <laughs> at myself because I no. hardly know. But yeah. that's a good but score or movie. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I the last
1: the one, um, which was the earlier banquet sequence, just a different part of it, was The Neverfeast from Hook.
3: That's what I... I mouthed that okay. at you and you
1: didn't... Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, okay. I just
2: thought you were like... So Turn. okay, you can huh? ret- <laughs> retrospectively pay me uh, three, yeah. three out of four. Yeah, no. yeah. Um,
1: and look, there are a lot of uh, hook. To me, is the great unsung yes icon of John Williams' career. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's in the top five. If the film wasn't the film wasn't terrible, if but but it certainly wasn't great. Mm. If the film wasn't so near, yeah, I think that score would be. So much higher on people's radars than it is because mm. it is th- as thematically rich as Harry Potter, yep. um, and it's just well,
0: fantastic. Bo- so borrowed the stuff. main theme for uh, Attack of the Clones as well. well
1: there you go. Yeah, mm.
3: <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, I've got to say, yeah.
0: for um, in a in a programming sense with the with the orchestra, when I want to program something that has a flying theme, yeah, I don't go to ET. That's the obvious one. I always want to put Hook. On the, yeah. um, was it Flight to, to Neverland? Yeah. Which is just such a great, great cue. So. Yeah, it's good stuff, yeah. isn't it? We're going to do that score. Yeah. yeah well, if you want to hear should. Hook. Yeah. I mean, if, if just you. Just listen if, to Harry Potter. Yeah. vice no. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if at home you want to hear Hook. Get get in touch. Throw us up on uh, you know, hit us up on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, mm. and uh, tell us you you want to hear Hook. Maybe you you want to hear some John Williams for once from us. And yeah. Maybe we should get into a Williams score. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, I'd I'd love to do that one. I think mm. that's such a great yeah. Like you said, one of the the more underrated Williams scores. Yeah. So let's move on. Um,
1: couple little moments in the score is one is the Quidditch fanfare.
0: Uh, I know we've sort of talked
1: about Harry's little thing um, but the Quidditch match is really one of those great action set pieces and I mean conducting the show that's that's the cue that I, I aim for and once that's done I'm like wipe the brow I can just now enjoy the show yep, yep. it's a real tough one but Williams brings out this singular thing that sort of just really launches us into Uh, the spectacle that is this match and have a listen because he really seamlessly integrates that school song which everyone will at home in their cars or trains or whatever sing along to as you hear it but towards the end of the queue have a listen how the Quidditch fanfare morphs into the school song
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting work uh, and, and sort of plays into what you kind of expect from this sort of heroic
1: action sports, team-based... Uh, yeah, but it's, it's very positive, isn't it? It's, it's, yeah. There's no minor chords in there. It's very... We're going to have a good time today, yeah, guys.
2: And yeah. uh, I mean, uh, for me, I think what that also reminds me of very much is is uh, from a film that was released only a few years earlier, from 1999, which is of course Star Wars: The Phantom Menace with mm. the the flag oh. parade. Sequence, oh yeah, which yep. I, I just I hear a lot of links here, so here we go. And I mean that that sequence is is great and I mean similar sort of, you know, like yeah, getting a stadium like atmosphere. Well, I mean, more than the stadium, I would say in a way, it's kind of, you know, the the, 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 the gladiators entering the, <laughs> the arena, arena. Which yeah. which it is, because yep. that sequence and that music is I think very clearly referencing Miklos Rosa's score for Ben Hur, oh, yeah. yeah. And yeah. the parade of the charioteers, which I think you can hear the lineage.
1: Yeah, there's, I mean, in the orchestration with the brass, there's mm. an element of ceremonialness. Yeah, yeah, and those, the-
2: those big, uh, I think all of them have, uh, I mean, they're, they're, they're brass that are sort of in fifths and fourths, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, very thick. So yeah, damp,
1: some low down things. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Hmm, so yeah, yeah. Now, opposite end of the spectrum is what we get is a very rare occurrence of John Williams using some synths. In this score, mm. and it's actually the music. Uh, it's not really even a motif. It's a sound for the invisibility cloak, and what he actually uses is a sort of a what's called in the score ghostly presence synth voice <laughs> <laughs> combined with a ghostly wind effect. Yeah. So whether you know Williams just got sick of the piano. Brought out the old DX7 or I don't know whatever, <laughs> opened up Pro Tools and said, uh, yeah, "Chris, how does this work?" <laughs> do you, yeah, do you reckon he uses Pro Tools? Uh, I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I want to know what led to him. Like, did he just ring up a synth guy that he yeah. knows and say, "Look, I just need a ghostly sound. Find me something."
0: Probably. I. I this could be the sound department on the film. Yeah. yeah. Being asked to do something for this. Because it's very, it's very unusual. But ha, check it out. You know what I think the reason why maybe it works and perhaps wouldn't have been successful if it had been an actual orchestra. Whenever the cloak goes on, Harry, he is almost like he's not underwater, but Mm. all of a sudden the sound- you know when he's overhearing conversations, it's like he's in another room. He's immersed in something else. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And that sound is almost like um, ethereal music, but coming from another room. Coming or from another room. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's I've never thought of it like that. Yeah, maybe. so that's sort of from a sound design point of view and an EQing point of view. They've yeah. mm. um, they've pulled all of the you know those frequencies out that naturally uh, happen when you hear music from another room. So mm. yeah, I think that yeah. really works. And it feels yeah. a bit like a theremin, the way it sort of. Hops yeah. Mm. <laughs> it's
2: that, that same amazing effect of seeing which Mahler symphony two or three, where they have the brass off stage?
0: Oh yeah, and then you hear it like it's yeah. this sort of yeah. almost angelic. Yeah, and you, you don't know th- where it's coming from,
2: and everybody in yeah. the in the in the in the in the crowd sort of like looks around, like where's that's not coming from? Yeah. what I'm looking at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But just just to quickly. On that point, um, I've just looked through the credits for this film and there's nobody listed as sort of like synth consultant or synth (laughs) synth performer. So, maybe it is 100% him. Yeah,
1: it could be. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Now, you guys talked about possibly some diegetic music before. Yes. Mm. What were you referring
2: to? Well, I was thinking of uh, our good friend Fluffy, the three-headed dog and his harp. You mean this?
0: That even the, you know, music that's supposed to put the dog to sleep mm. is still kooky. Yeah,
3: yeah, like- <laughs> absolutely.
0: Yeah. It it's like have- nothing can exist in that world just straight up.
1: Yeah,
2: mm. it would
0: have been very easy to just do a bunch of major chords and- Yeah, yeah. And have some traditional sort of, you know, lullaby music.
1: Mm. I mean, here it's obviously used for, you know, uh, a particular fact, you know, there is a magical harp, which I assume is in the books. Yes. Yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I want to ask you guys, like, what other film compo- composers write for solo harp? That just off the top of your head you can just think of cues with solo harp in, I, in film. I tell you what.
2: Here we go. I can I can I can go you one better. I can go you nine. Two solo harps? I, but can, <laughs> give you, I can give you nine solo harps.
1: <gasps> As in nine nine composers who use solo harps or nine harps? Nine harps, harps played. What's well, it's not solo then, it's an ensemble. Well, exactly. <laughs> but uh just this In a film? Mm. It sounds horrifying. Shh, shh, shh. Thank <laughs>
2: That's nine harps, is it? That is nine harps. Surely, together. like three or something would it, would do. Yeah.
1: Now, what what, what, what is composer, that? Who is
2: it? What kind of composer would do something as ludicrous as having nine harps together?
1: Hans Zimmer.
3: <laughs> yeah, is it really? Does
2: that sound like Hans Zimmer to you? No, it. No, it doesn't. No. Is not Hans Zimmer? No, well, he yeah, like He'd have ten drummers in a studio for yeah. Superman. Yeah, so. true, true. Bernard. It is Bernard Herman. Bernard. Herman. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. So the man of the sixteen French horns and you know yep. twelve <laughs> flutes um, for Torn Curtain. So that's from uh, okay. the the the, the Film um, uh, beneath a twelve mile reef, which is not a yeah. memorable film, but it's a memorable score. Because
1: I, I can Do you think, think an of, answer. No, I, I don't. I mean, I can think of like Williams used it a bit in Angela's Ashes. Mm. Oh yeah. And those little. The little, little trills mm. actually remind me of that music from uh, E.T. Oh, yeah. You know, that, with this, this bit with the solo harp. Mm. I mean, sort of Elliot and E.T. are sort of, you know, becoming friends. Mm. That's a really sweet cue. Mm. Yeah. But look, I mean, again, outside of Williams, mm. well, I mean, they all use harp, but um, in this capacity, I don't know. It's, it's just like... Yeah. Just, why? It's it's so beautiful. Yeah. It's so unique. It's it's fantastic, yeah. isn't it? You yeah. know, it
0: does surprise me that that doesn't it's, happen it's more. It's
1: like he leaves no stone unturned. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, one of the things that I would like to talk about before we finish uh, is that I think, I really think of the Harry Potter scores, the first two in particular, because the one's very different, but the first two. Uh, as being quite sort of emblematic of this early 2000s John Williams sound, which is a little bit different to his music since and his music previous, where you get films like Attack of the Clones, like Minority Report and AI all around this sort of, you know, two or three year period that all have this sort of very particular sort of sound to them. Um, And I think, I think, you know uh if you played me some of the action music from pretty much all of those films i wouldn't be able to tell you which one it was from unless a a, a, a leitmotif came through or something <laughs> yeah, like yeah, that yeah, yeah. it's just it's reached this point where williams is in is in his own universe in terms of musical action sequence writing which is just so complex <laughs> yes yes Um, and I mean, I think, you know, we sort of discussed this a little bit in our Jurassic Park episode of this sort of, you know, shift taking place, but it's around the, 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 the turn of the millennium where it gets, I think, um, fully realized. And I mean, you can hear that a little bit, I think in, in the Quidditch action music. Yep. Where it's, I mean, you've got these, you know, underlying driving ostinatos, but it's just everything around it is hectic. And you get that sort of similar sound in in Minority Report as well. And yeah, I mean, also, you know, I mean, we could play endless examples, but yeah, Attack of the Clones AI uh, as well. Um, elements of the Phantom Menace too. Um, although I think the Phantom Menace just always has a slightly different sound for me. But <laughs> but there, there's definitely you know similar musical ideas going on.
0: Yeah, it's because I... it's it's before the new millennium. That's why. Right, Phantom Menace. So, as is this
2: is this John Williams Millennium bug? Yeah, is it that, is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. As, as
0: it as it clicked over, yeah. it's like, "Nothing to do in that anymore." Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: but I mean, it's like it's it's not the same, but it's the same idea that drives yes. all of these sequences. Yeah, um, and I think you know, I've 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 read several interviews with him where he talks about how uh, I think I might have even mentioned this in in previous podcasts where he tries to find the rhythm of a scene first.
1: Yeah, Mm. interesting, very interesting.
2: Yeah, before anything else. And so I think, yeah, I mean, this kind of stuff is him really reaching that point where he's like, all right, this is the tempo. It's sort of about that's what we're at for this sequence Uh, and then just sort of takes it away from there. Yep. Uh, And I think that's sort of what's going on. And
1: for dramatic changes, he'll do dramatic changes in tempo. Like in the Quidditch match, it goes from like 9-8, which is to like... 2-2, two, two, which is a very broad one and two and one and two and one and two. I mean, not directly, you know, ch- chopping and changing, but mm. um, there's big sways of 9-8 and big sways of 2-2. Two two, and they're, they're drastically different kind of vibes. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting how how he writes and thinking about those, like what those time signatures mean. And, uh, I mean, that's rhythmically. That, that exactly. That's That's John Williams, I think. It's not 4-4
2: over and over set to equals one twenty, And and that's his contribution (laughs) apart from any iconic pop cultural moment or or in-depth dive that we can do about the music that we do in this podcast is that I think he took the language of Hollywood film music, which was based in Viennese, European, old world, romantic beauty and made it agile and made it possible to react to the almost down to the frame Whereas, you know, the first generation of Hollywood composers, Korngoltz and Steiners, they just have these amazing cues that are beautiful, but they just obliterate the nuance in the scene because <laughs> they're just, you know, it's like, okay, we're singing, we're happy, we're happy, you know, for like 16 bars. Yep. yep. Um, because you can't sort of change mid. They don't turn on
0: a, on a dime. Yeah, but sort of.
2: Williams is, is so agile. And I, I think that actual music reflects
0: that. Yeah. yeah. Guys, I think that brings us to the end. It does. It's a long mm. episode. Absolutely. We better get out of here before we
1: get uh, kicked out or worse,
0: expelled. Iamos. <laughs> <laughs> <No>, anyway. <laughs> anyway, I hope everybody at home enjoyed our uh, little analysis here of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. And if you did enjoy it, Uh, We would very much love for you to, uh, if you haven't already, press subscribe, um, subscribe to that feed. You can also jump onto our website, uh, uh, artofthescore.com.au and you can even subscribe to our RSS feed. If you don't like... The, uh, the the iTunes and all that sort of stuff. You the can fruit. get there. Yeah, <laughs> you can get there other ways. And of course, if you have any questions, you have comments, uh, we love hearing from uh, everybody around the world on what you're enjoying and and uh, things you want to sort of chime in with. Hit us up at Facebook, Art of the Score. Also Twitter at Art of the Score and Instagram as well, Art of the Score. And we will be sure to get back to you on that. So until next time. Uh, I'm Andrew Pogson. That's Dan Golding. You're a wizard, Andrew. Oh, thank you. And he's Nicholas Buck. Thanks for having me. And this was Art of the Score.